reading one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Scripture that I come back to very often in my preaching and in my own devotional life. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Hear the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light. But came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Today I'm going to kick off a sermon series uh, looking at the life of Jesus. As I finished my sermon series on the church and the culture, I I ended yet last week really saying how the church of the future needs to be a church that focuses on and lifts up Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing in sermons all the way through Easter and past Easter a few weeks. Looking at Jesus. And to start out, I'm going to do basically a biography of Jesus. I do this every once in a while. I like to take characters like I've done it for John Calvin and Martin Luther. But to look at their life kind of holistically. And the big picture. And so today I'm going to do the same thing for Jesus. Although it's not really a bio- biographical sketch. Because I'm going to go from the perspective of John 1 and the rest of the scriptures. Which says that Jesus was much more than a person. He was much more than a bio. So you can't just have a biography. That Jesus was in fact God. And so we're going to have today a theography While biographies often begin with the birth of a person, our theography of Jesus must start where the Bible does. Where John 1 starts, well before his birth. But the Jesus was part of God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. I mean, Jesus goes way back. We have this impression that Jesus starts at Christmas, but that is not where Jesus starts in the Bible. Jesus begins as part of the Godhead. 
that God is talked about in the scriptures as Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this great mystery that they can all be one and yet be individual persons. God has always existed that way and therefore Jesus has always existed. As the expression of God. That when God wants to do something and God wants to reveal God's self to us, Jesus is there. The early church fathers went so far as to say when you see pretty flowers like this, you're seeing, Je- you're seeing God in a visible way, which means Jesus must be part of that. When you see a sunrise and whenever you see God expressed, that is what Jesus is and does. At some point, perhaps overflowing with love and relationship, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created the world. And the Bible is clear that Jesus was central to this work. How does the text say it? All things are created by Him, for Him, and through Him. There's nothing created in the world that's created apart from Jesus. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, you find that God created by speaking words. It is this same kind of understanding of God's speaking words that John picks up when he says that Jesus was the word. The Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. The world would literally fall apart if it was not for Jesus being the glue that keeps it stuck together. This means that Jesus has always been involved in our world and that means he continues to be involved in this world because the world can't hold together without him. He is the creator and the sustainer. And it was even for his purpose that the world was created, that he might receive glory. In the Old Testament, Jesus shows up, in a, according to many scholars, in different appearances. Whenever God is seen in physical form, represented by a person, represented by the shape of a person, like in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when there's a, a fourth person in the fire, the understanding of the church fathers was that that was Jesus. Though he had not been born yet, he had not been made flesh. Whenever God is expressed in, in, in some kind of form, Jesus is there. In the Old Testament, the kings, the priests, and the prophets all pointed to this coming Messiah. Everything about the Old Testament points to and moves towards this moment where God would become flesh. Somewhere around the turn of the first century, into the first century, a young, seemingly insignificant Jewish girl got unbelievable and unfathomable news that she was pregnant with God, the God child, and that this child would grow to save people from sin and death. In an event only heralded by shepherds, the center and purpose of all creation was born as a baby. In the Bible's language, the word and the ultimate truth became flesh. Jesus humbled himself to become a human being. Jesus did this to be the go-between, but for heaven and earth, and from earth to heaven. He came to stand in and represent God in the world, and to be the stand-in representative of people to God. Since Jesus was both God and human being, he was in a unique position To be able to do both of those roles. We know little of Jesus' childhood. We know that when he was a baby or or very, very young, he was forced with his family to flee to Egypt. At some point, God told them that they could come back. Probably Jesus left 
lived a pretty normal life. Though he was without sin, and having kids, I can't imagine kids without sin, but apparently you can have kids without sin. You can imagine Jesus playing, Jesus eating, Jesus relating to kids down the street, although he would have been a strange friend to have. Trained as a carpenter, that's the work that he did until he started his earthly ministry. He had a stepfather, Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he's not his father, but his stepfather probably passed away because we don't see him later. Had, Jesus had brothers and sisters, we know from the, from the Bible. How would you like to have Jesus as an older brother? Some of us, uh, if you're younger, you might have been jealous of your older brother, but imagine if your older brother was the son of God. Might be a little bit of a different kind of sibling rivalry. In fact, his brothers and sisters don't follow him until after his death and after his resurrection. And then, like his brother James, for example, becomes a leader in the church. But while he was born, while he was living, I don't think they could quite get around the fact that it was their brother doing this. Part of the work of Jesus was to identify with human beings. So maybe he just had a pretty normal childhood. He was a, he was a carpenter. He probably could make stuff pretty well, I would assume, being the son of God. He hit his hand, you know, hit his thumb with a hammer. And he would just say me instead of what a lot of us would say in that situation. Around the age of 30, Jesus began his earthly ministry. His cousin, John the Baptist, proclaimed him, baptized him. At at that moment, the voice from heaven of the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down, something like a dove, upon him as as he really starts and initiated his earthly ministry. Again, for 30 years, he was just kind of normal. His ministry begins with a fasting, followed by the temptation in the desert. He goes to a wedding in Cana where he's just hanging out. Jesus spends a lot of time at parties. He he seemed to like parties. His first miracle was making a bunch of wine when there was wine about to run out. His first job was picking up the tab. He calls his disciples something that rabbis did. He did not pick the best or the brightest because all the other rabbis had already picked them. He picked the leftovers, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the nobodies. And he began to teach them. Teach them and also teach crowds as they began to gather around this strange man. He taught very odd lessons that the last should be first and the first should be last. That you're blessed if you're meek, you're poor in spirit, and you're persecuted. That if your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. He taught strange stories we call parables about losing sheep, coins, and sons. Impractical sowers in the soils that cannot accept seeds. A Samaritan who helps at his own expense, whereas another Jew and a rabbi would not. Many of his stories have rich men and have religious figures in them, but they're never really cast in a very good light in Jesus' story. In fact, Jesus does a lot of his teaching related to the people he's interacting with. Jesus had amazing love and patience for thieves, hookers, and the terminally ill outcasts. But when it came to the rich, the clean, and the religious, Jesus often had scathing words and stories. 
Jesus healed many in his ministry. The blind, the lame, those with seizures. He even raised a few people who had died. Some even at a great distance. Some he just said, by command, get up and walk. Others, he was much more hands-on. There's a healing he does where he spits in the dirt and makes mud and rubs it on a blind man's eyes. He healed another blind man man in stages where he touched that man's eyes, had him go wash, and he could see a little bit, and so Jesus did it again. One woman was even healed from some kind of bleeding problem just by touching Jesus when he didn't even know about it. Jesus turned and said, who touched me in the middle of a crowd where everyone was touching him? Jesus did many miracles that were not healings. Great catches of fish, feeding large numbers of people with small lunches and cursing fig trees. Many of these happened on the Jewish Sabbath where work was not supposed to be done. But Jesus seemed to care more about hurting people than he did about the rules of propriety. Jesus was known for his exorcisms, which is something we don't talk about a lot. Some accused him of even having a demon since he commanded the demons. But Jesus said that was not the case. Jesus talked to many people, and we have records of this in his ministry. A rich young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus, but just can't quite give up his possessions. A Samaritan woman who meets him at a well, he tells her about her sin the problems of her life, and she ends up telling her whole Samaritan town about him. A woman caught in adultery, where Jesus draws in the dirt, says the one who has no sin can cast the first stone, and then when the crowd leaves, he tells the woman to go and sin no more. Jesus spoke a lot to women, spoke a lot to Samaritans. He touched lepers. He seemed to have no sense of proper boundaries or social norms. He was often tested by religious leaders, but he seemed to always have a question where he could send it right back at them. Wherever Jesus went, he brought hope and joy and love. But he also created doubters, critics, and haters. I think Jesus still has the same effect today. Jesus had his good friends. He had a group of 12. Of course, one betrayed him. But he had his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He had a friend named Lazarus who died and Jesus wept at the loss. Jesus has not only genuine love for people, but he also knows what it means to lose someone. Jesus asked his disciples about who others say that he is, but he also asked them the same question. Who do you say that I am? This was a big part of Jesus' ministry because he often made statements about himself. He used the phrase, I am, which is the Old Testament name for God. I am that I am. He said, I am the bread of life, the gate, the good shepherd, the living water. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Some called him crazy. Some called him a crook and wanted to kill him. Others followed him, if if not out of loyalty, at least out of intrigue or to get a free meal. Jesus made statements throughout his ministry that he was going to die, even saying at least once that he would be lifted up. That's a reference to the cross. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew how it was going to happen. And the text says that he even intentionally moved to Jerusalem to have it happen. In Jerusalem, for the Passover, around three years after he started his earthly ministry, Jesus was betrayed by a friend and abandoned by all the rest of them. 
He stood alone in a mockery of a trial. He was stripped, beaten, and whipped. A crown of thorns placed on his head. Jesus carried the instrument of death until someone else had to carry it for him. He died on a cross. The symbol of of what it meant as a cross. He died as an enemy of the state. This was a political statement that was meant to end a political leader's movement, movement, the people that followed and his influence. He died that death because we deserve it. Our sin put him there. We are enemies of the heavenly estate. And Jesus took that on for us. For one dark and gloomy Saturday, all seemed lost for those disciples and for us. But early that Sunday morning, a group of women went to the tomb and made a discovery that would change the lives of the disciples. And in fact, history, all of history would be changed. Jesus was alive. Jesus defeats sin. He defeats death and he gives us life. The Bible describes this as a clearly physical Resurrection. Jesus is recognized, he's interacted with, he's touched, and he even, even eats with his disciples. And yet he could make himself unrecognizable. He could appear in closed rooms and could come and go in his presence as he pleased. He did this many times and was seen by many people. For 40 days he made these appearances until he was taken from this world and brought fully into the spiritual world. Many saw this happen, but some still did not believe in that moment. Before he left, Jesus instructed his ragamuffin group of followers to wait in Jerusalem for his Holy Spirit to come about them. Notice Jesus calls the Holy Spirit his spirit. By the leading of this spirit, this little movement began to explode. Not just among the Jews either, but a man named Paul who was persecuting the Christians, was stopped on a road that he was going to persecute these Christians, was blinded. All he saw was a bright light of Jesus and was told, no, 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 now you're mine. Paul began to take this message of Jesus to the Gentiles. The movement grew and became a dominant force in world history. This little group of followers changed the way the world works. Some of those early Christians were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down things about the life and impact of Jesus. These were later gathered into what we knew as the Old Testament. Combined with the New Testament makes our Bible. And so the whole Bible points to and leads to Jesus. And then in the New Testament points out as the message of Jesus goes to others. The Bible is centered in Jesus. In in fact, theologian John Webster says that the word that became flesh was the same word that became text. That in some way the Bible is this special revelation to us. Derivative of Christ's lordship, it is the unique and authoritative testimony of this man Jesus. It is the place we go to when we want to learn about and confirm more about Jesus' work in the world. Through the Spirit... Through the word and through the bride of Christ, the church. Jesus is still at work to this day. Still going between humanity and heaven. The perfect mediator from both sides. We remember Jesus in our church gatherings. In our songs and liturgy. We proclaim him in our sermons. We remember Jesus every time we do communion 
and a baptism. We look forward and long for the day when Jesus returns to this world and makes all things new. He comes to finish the work that he already finished. Where the world will be made right and perfect and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This man from this small town in a small occupied nation is the most important historical figure of all times. He started a movement to change the world and has changed the world over and over again. Though his ministry never went further than a, from his home than about a 50 mile radius. There is nowhere in the world and in our lives that his impact cannot be felt. There is no place where Jesus cannot point and say definitively, that is mine. In the name of Jesus, all kinds of things have been done. Some good, like hospitals, nursing homes, orphanages, all kinds of care. Some bad, like the Crusades, burning heretics at the stake, or many things that Christians seem to do in the name of our Lord. Jesus has been portrayed in movies many times, often with different characters and different sort of aspects. Jesus has been shaped into the image of all kinds of things. A good teacher, a wise sage, an inspiring martyr. But ultimately, I think, we need to deal with Jesus in his own terms. Jesus is a parable from God. He is the way that we are to look at and think about God. He is the story, the metaphor, so that we can understand who God is and what God has done for us. And if Jesus is the parable of God, then I would make the contention that we are the parable of Jesus. That in our lives we point to this man, Jesus, who was more than a man, who was the God-man. That our lives proclaim His glory. And so the question for you today is the same question of those disciples. Who do you say that he is? Perhaps another question follows. What does Jesus want to do in and through your life today? Let us pray. Jesus, we give you all glory and praise for who you are, for what you have done and what you will do. May we become smaller and you become bigger in our church, in our lives, and in our world, we pray. Amen.